You're listening to The Q's Podcast, Episode 80. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. You're choosing The Q's Podcast, where we speak with credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. I'm your host, Lisa Hograff, Senior Editor with Q's. In this episode, we'll focus on how to compare executive benefits plans, apples to apples. These plans can help with executive recruitment, retention, and retirement. Our guest, Ramsey Ellis, is an executive benefits specialist with Q Solutions Platinum Provider, CUNA Mutual Group, headquartered in Madison, Wisconsin. Ellis offers effective ways to compare what can be fairly complex programs to help determine which is the best choice for your executive and your credit union. A key takeaway from this show is that it's a good idea to get and compare proposals from at least two providers before you put an executive benefits plan in place. With this in mind, the show gets into how to think about the investment and management fees for a plan's underlying investments, and the assumptions various plans use in projecting the return over time. The show also considers whole life insurance and why it's the type of insurance most commonly used to fund executive benefits plans. But first, I'd like to thank Q2, sponsor of today's show. Your credit union's future depends on finding new tools and strategies to help you engage with your members. Q2 understands this. In fact, it's the driving force behind everything they do. As a financial experience, or FinX company, Q2 offers a comprehensive, extensible, and mobile-first digital banking platform. Simple solutions for security and compliance, open technology for the agile development, analytics for growth, and more, all with the goal of providing your members with exceptional experiences and relevant services along their financial journeys. Q2 can unlock new opportunities for your credit union and your members. Learn more at q2ebanking.com. That's letter Q, number two, letter E as in Edward, banking.com. Okay, now let's jump into the conversation with Ramsey Ellis. Ramsey, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So I'm excited today to talk with you about credit unions choosing an executive benefits plan and about how to effectively compare the differences between plans. I wondered, before we get into that, though, so that the audience can get to know you a little bit, if you might be able to talk about a mantra you use or a quote that you like to live by in your professional life. Well, when uh, choosing an investment, it's, it's a very important decision that needs to be made by credit unions. Is I like to live by, is this an investment I would purchase for myself or my parents? And the basis behind that is, is really suitability. Tell me more about suitability. Suitability is choosing the right investment for the right person. And usually it boils down to risk tolerance. 
not all credit unions have the same appetite for risk, and you need to take the time to get to know the credit union and their preferences well before you choose an investment for them. And the bottom line is for them to maintain a comfort level with whatever uh, risk profile you put in place. That's a wonderful starting point for talking about comparing possible executive benefits plans. Let's jump to considering why making comparisons that are very equal, apples to apples, as people say, of executive benefits plan can be sometimes difficult. Well, apples to apples is key on a number of levels because in some instances, and I'll use a split dollar plan, say, as as an example, there are types of policies, let's call whole life and indexed universal life for two examples. Whole life is going to be based on and illustrated on the current dividend, and there's not going to be much variance going to one provider versus the other because compliance dictates that whole life policies are illustrated at the then current dividend rate. Shifting gears to something like a universal life or indexed universal life, there's some wiggle room as to assumed rates of return that you can use in your illustrations. I will say that CUNA Mutual, in their conservative nature, requires us to illustrate at an assumed rate of return of no more than 6%. So are you saying that some different kinds of instruments have different ways of sort of talking about or reporting what the return will be on the investment, and that can make it a little trickier to understand how they compare? That's exactly what I'm saying. For instance, with an indexed universal life, there is limitation, but it's above a 6% rate of return where we cut ourselves off at 6 There could be another provider that could assume as much as a 6.7% return, staying within legal guidelines, but the difference in a 6 to a 6.7% return in an investment that's hopefully going to last 30, 40, 50 years through the executive's retirement makes a huge difference in the required funding amount to hit a target benefit that the board has established. So I could go to the table assuming 6%, and require a larger investment to get to the target thereafter, where if another provider came in, assuming 6.7, would result in a lesser amount required to hit the target, boards could tend to shift and prefer the second illustration. The issue that they're not aware of is the investment is the same or policy type is the same that I'm using versus the other provider, they're assuming better performance than I am. Therefore, if you go with an assumed higher rate of return, you're taking on more risk that the policy could underperform and not hit the target that the illustration indicates. That makes sense to me, even as a word person. So far, we've been talking about rates um, and returns, 
on these policies. Are there other elements of an executive benefits plan that need to be kind of compared on an apples-to-apples basis that CEOs and boards should be aware of? Well, another area that that needs to need scrutiny in choosing an investment is overall expenses. There are so many funding vehicles that you can use. We try to simplify it and use individual securities managed by an outside money manager because individual securities themselves don't have internal costs. So the fee that's being charged in the managed account is charged quarterly and is very transparent. You see it coming out of the account and know exactly what the cost is down to the penny. Where it can get fuzzy is the use of mutual funds, exchange-traded funds. Those are types of investments that have internal fees and costs that are not transparent. They essentially, if if a mutual fund charges 1% a year, they'll take 1 365th of 1% out of the value of the account every day. And it's not something that's visible to the investor. So first we were talking about, sorry for jumping in. So first we were talking about returns and how to compare those because one might be up here higher, although it assumes more risk than the other. So getting them to level out and compare apples to apples is, is that. But it sounds like similar thing is happening with fees related to the programs. So there might be fees that are either assessed and declared up front, or there might be fees that are more incorporated into the program as a whole. Is that fair? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And and what I have run into in a couple of instances uh, with credit unions and as such subsequently won the business is that there were mutual funds and exchange-traded funds inside of a managed account that had that 1% wrap fee I referenced that mm-hmm. comes out of the account quarterly that you see. When you look at an account, a managed account charging a wrap fee that also holds investments that have internal expenses, such as an exchange-traded fund or a mutual, other type of mutual fund, in reality, you're, you're paying two levels of expense. And by starting off in the hole, let's say at twice the expense level, say 2% annually instead of one, you're already behind 1%, you have to make up that 1% in performance. So there's added risk there. The point I'm making is if if you're going to pursue an investment that's managed and have a wrap fee, look for one that has individual investments, such as individual stocks, individual bonds, preferred stocks, that don't have additional management fees attached to them. I love it. I was about to ask you, so what would be your top tip for helping to sort this out? And you gave such a great concrete one before I could even ask the question. See, I can babble sometimes. No, you're doing fine, (laughs) Ramsey. So let's jump a little bit. You were mentioning earlier permanent whole life insurance, and I understand that is very commonly used for split dollar life insurance plans. Would you tell me more about 
permanent whole life and why it's used the most? Whole life, well, I'll start off by saying I think as a general rule, there are exceptions, but as a general rule, credit unions are fairly conservative when it comes to risk tolerance. Whole life is based on a dividend that is paid by and influenced by the general account of an insurance company. And if you look historically at what those dividend rates are, it's it's a much more stable graph than, say, the performance of the S&P 500. But as far as type of insurance, whole life insurance, and it's also been referred to as straight life, ordinary life, is a, an insurance policy which is guaranteed to remain in force for the insured's entire lifetime, provided the required premiums are paid. And the premium payments can be set up as limited pay for a certain period of time, such as 10 years, 20 years, or to a certain age, say 65, or they can be paid in over the entire life of the individual. So based on what time period is chosen, determines the amount of the premium, but it'll be at a fixed level. The premium amounts will be same over that period of time. So the and duration the, of this helps to well, ha- has it, an impact it, on cost, is that? Well, it, it, it's not so much cost as the pattern of the premium payments, but he, here's the difference between that and, say, an indexed universal life, is once those premiums that are determined the period 10 years is an example or or paid that's a fully paid up policy and it's guaranteed to remain in force for the insured's entire lifetime indexed universal life you're going to assume a rate of return and assume a pattern of premiums to fully fund that policy if the performance of the underlying policy does not meet the assumption, you could be required to make additional premiums, more investment than was originally illustrated, or you could run the risk of that policy not remaining in force. That sounds like a good list of considerations if you're shopping for whole life insurance as part of an executive benefits plan. Are there any others that credit unions should think about? Well, I, I just want to reinforce what I said earlier is that you could take the exact same policy on the indexed universal life side and have one provider assume 6%, the other pro- provider assume 67 That policy is going to perform exactly the same for both parties. When you're assuming a higher rate of return, you're taking on a higher risk situation, and that's the key. So if you're evaluating two providers and want to compare apples to apples, tell them to assume a self-determined rate of return, whether it be 6%, 6.5. I will tell you we like to illustrate 6%, but if credit union comes back to us and says, we want you to illustrate 6.5 or 6.7. We will do that, establishing the fact that the credit union has asked us to do so. Sure. 
Very good. So these are fairly complex plans. And I'm thinking about if I were trying to work with a credit union on them, not that I have any expertise, but I'm thinking about that scenario of working with a credit union on setting up this kind of a plan. Who are the people at the credit union who are typically most involved in this in terms of sorting out the finer details of the options? It will vary. Usually, the CFO and or CEO, as far as the executives that are involved, and then you've got boards where you've got some board members with an insurance or a financial background that can offer insight. So depending on the background of some of the board members, they could get involved. Uh, A lot of credit unions have uh, investment committees that would usually all be involved in the evaluation of a plan and the choosing of the investment. But I would say on average, CEO, CFO, and any board member with uh, strong financial acumen. It does seem like those skills will be very helpful. So we've been talking about uh, investment returns. We've been talking about managed fees. You mentioned wrap fees. Are there other administrative fees that credit unions consider as they compare these plans? Well, I will say CUNA Mutual does not charge an annual administration fee. I know some of our competitors do. Another expense, albeit a one-time expense, is an attorney to draft the legal document which is going to govern the plans. We do not offer legal documents because as plan administrator, we feel like that could potentially be a conflict of interest. So we ask credit unions to use an outside attorney, and we have a list of those that we've seen good work for, but it's ultimately the credit union's choice as to who they use. And those documents for, let's say, a 457F plan can run in the $2,000 to $2,500 range. If a credit union is doing multiple plans, they can expect discounts on any second or third plan they're doing at the same time. Let's talk more about that. This is new to me, right? I've been writing about credit unions for 20 years, which I kind of hate to admit, but it's true. Um, (laughs) And when we first started writing about executive benefits plans, we were pretty much just talking about the CEO. But you just talked about multiple plans. Tell me more mm-hmm. about that and who those are for. Well, I every time I sit down with the CEO and review their plan, I ask, is there somebody internally that you've identified that could potentially step in when you retire into the CEO position? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But if there is, I then suggest you need to get with the board And for succession planning, consider putting a plan in place for those individuals because obviously they have a skill set that is sufficient to step in at some point as CEO. They're going to be in demand and be getting calls from headhunters, may still be getting them right now. So once you put a plan in place for that individual, each year that passes, it becomes more and more expensive for another institution to poach them away. 
When you mentioned headhunters, it made me think of technology executives. Have executive benefits plans been used to help retain those high in demand techno savvy folks too? Or Absolutely. Not yet? They have. Absolutely. I you know, I what I just mentioned to you, I have that conversation with the CEO. Look around your credit union, who's instrumental to the success of your operation and IT comes up quite often, and it doesn't have to be a, a C-level exec. It just needs the IRS litmus test as to who's eligible for these types of plans is about the top third of the payroll. Okay. And usually an IT guy is going to, guy or girl is going to hit that criteria. Yeah, and they're among the people that a credit union might be trying really hard to keep. Absolutely. So it's not limited just to the CEO, and that's where I was going down the path of a second, third, and fourth plan. I'd say close to 60% of the credit unions have a plan for more than just one executive. Are the plans somewhat different? Like, would you consider different options for a CEO than a CIO? Absolutely, you would. And it's based usually on salary, and salary is going to be commensurate with the position that uh, the individual holds. But one of the good things about uh, executive benefits is that they are considered non-qualified plans as opposed to a 401k or a defined benefit pension where you have to offer those plans to all staff, non-qualified plans, you can pick and choose who you offer it to and not be subject to any discrimination issues. And the plans you offer one exec can be significantly different than one you offer another. So it's a chance to make a really custom benefit. Absolutely. And that's, that's, One of the main parts of my job is to go in and work with the executive and see what's going to create the most retention value for the credit union and try to match that up with a plan type and subsequent investment. Awesome. So, Ramsey, let's talk a little bit about what might make a credit union more interested in a split dollar plan versus a 457F plan? Well, there are pros and cons of both. And we, again, look at each situation and what its unique demands and needs are. 457F plans are used more often for younger executives who might be interested in receiving distributions before retirement, say something that coincides with a child going to college or some other life expense that they're anticipating, would have more retention value to the credit union than, say, a split dollar that's structured to pay out at retirement. You ask a younger executive, here, we're going to write you a nice check. When you retire at 65, a plan structure that pays them periodic bonuses while they're still working is going to have better retention value 
than something that's going to pay a larger check when they retire. So I would say 457Fs are suitable for short-term payouts and younger executives. I'd say split dollar is appropriate for targeting specific retirement benefits. Split dollar also has gained popularity on boards with respect to the fact that they pay income to the income statement during for the duration of the plan till the executive dies. And thus the money committed to funding the plan is still an actively contributing asset to the income statement. So if Opportunity cost is a concern to the board. They might look at split dollar because they're going to be able to book interest income over the life of the plan. If they have a shorter term plan that they want to fund and want to have access to their principal that they're using to fund the plan when the exec retires, then that would shift back to the 457F. So I was thinking earlier about how the plans were being customized for the executives, CEO, mm-hmm. CIO, mm-hmm. CFO. But it also sounds like the plans need to be customized to the credit union's unique situation. I think you said that earlier, but this latest discussion makes me think about that again. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very true. I seek input from both parties because a non-qualified plan is – essentially an agreement between the credit union and the executive, an agreement between two parties. So it's my job to figure out what each of the two parties feels is more important, and that can dictate what plan type you use and the investment you use to fund it. One other consideration for split dollar is insurability. If an executive has health issues that could potentially have them rated or declined in the underwriting process, I like to get out in front of that and ask the executive if they feel like they would underwrite well for an insurance policy, not asking them about personal health issues, but just that basic question. Because if an executive has health issues, Split dollar and the cost of insurance associated with it could make it a prohibitive uh, funding vehicle for a benefit. Wow. I'm impressed at how much you know about very complex things. And it kind of takes me back to a square one question. So credit will need to think hard about executive benefits plans if they want to put one in place. And they'll need to sort through some options and they'll need to try to make apples to apples comparisons so they can make a really good decision. What drives them? What makes them ready to do that, to put these plans in place? Why are these plans important today? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is is succession planning. Uh, I will say in the next five years, uh, a lot of CEOs are going to retire and the demand for seasoned, successful executives is only going to go up. That takes me back to where we said if if I talk to a CEO and they've identified someone internally they feel could step in in a few years and uh, take the top spot, 
that the time to put a plan in place for them is right now because the sooner, sooner the plan's in place, the more expensive it is to duplicate down the road if another institution is trying to poach that individual. Hughes loves talent, talent development, talent retention. Education is one of those things that helps people stay and love their work. And I think executive benefits plans is another example of a way to keep people engaged and retained and going strong doing well for credit unions and for credit union members. I couldn't agree more. And if you can take a financial concern off the table for an executive, then retention loyalty is is something that I think will follow and allow them to focus on the task at hand and, and be more focused on what's best for the credit union. And that in the long run is good for the members too, right? And members like to see continuity. They don't like to see turnover. And secession planning is key to keeping the members comfortable and happy. Ramsey, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks again for uh, asking me to join. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Q's. And thank you again to our special guest, Ramsey Ellis, Executive Benefits Plan Specialist with Q's Solutions Platinum Provider, CUNA Mutual Group. Be sure to visit qs.org slash cmg to learn more about the company's executive benefits and retirement plan offerings. If you're interested in becoming a Q Solutions provider, please email carrie at qs.org. That's K-A-R-I at qs.org. For more talent development content from Qs, please visit our new content site, cumanagement.com. If you're a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit qs.org slash membership. You'll also find real learning value in the sessions and networking at CEO Executive Team Network, slated for November 4th through 6th in Amelia Island, Florida. Learn more and register at qs.org slash cnet. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit Q's.org today.